week on Let's Talk About Leo, we talk about sex, drugs, and lots of Leo in the 1995 adaptation of The Basketball Diaries. Welcome, gentle listeners, to this week's episode of Let's Talk About Leo, the podcast where we discuss the body of work of Leonardo DiCaprio one film at a time. I am Meredith, and with me, as always, is my trusty sister and fellow Leo lover, Laura. Hello, Laura. Hello. Hi. How has Hi. your week been? Um, My week has been, well, for happy Valentine's Day, first of all. Oh, happy Valentine's Day. I love you so much. I love you so much. And also... Um, one of the things that made my day good today was that I remembered last year when you brought me roses. I forgot about that. That was like one of the only Valentine's Day that, days that Mr. Meredith and I have been physically together in the same place. Yeah, and you came to my house and you gave me roses. We did, because we're really freaking nice. You are. It may, mm. See, it, may, it was so good that it made my this year good. It was so cold that we took an Uber, too. I remember yeah. that. And it was like, we didn't live that far from you. It was not that big of a problem. Yeah, that was very nice. I think it was like negative like 10 degrees that day. It was awful. It was, it was really cold. Yeah. So um, how, are you, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You know. Pretty sleepy right now. It's kind of late. And I'm a little bit hungry. And You're hangry! I'm hang. I'm a little hangry, actually. So if I get mean, or I'm so sorry. should I start talking about David Boreanaz right now? Oh my God! Please don't, because I'm so confused about my feelings about him. Tell the listeners, <sighs> what's gentle going on. listeners. So I finished watching Buffy, which was amazing, but then there was a hole in my life. Like when you finish reading Harry Potter, and you're like, "How will I fill this hole? This is such a large part of my existence." And so I was like, hmm, well, Angel is on Netflix. Maybe I'll start that. And so I started watching it, and I was like, ugh, I hate Angel. Ugh. I mean, honestly. I hate David Boreanaz. But then I was like, oh, but he's so hot. He's so hot. He's a very good-looking man. He broods. His eyes smolder. But then I'm like, oh, I think he might be a terrible person. And I had this whole, like, mixed-up scenario in my head where he had, like, shown his peen to somebody that didn't want to see it, which is just, like, a, <laughs> no pun intended, but a dick move. <laughs> and it, it, it never happened. We researched it. it no, no, happened. no. It turns out he just, like, you know, had some, like, light infidelity with, like, Tiger. <laughs> tiger. <White. laughs> so good. With Tiger Woods' number one mistress. And there were, like, yeah. these text messages. And she was, like... You're never going to leave her, and I am once again alone. And then he was like, what the hell are you talking about? You are a child. <laughs> and it was, it like, was very scary. clear that, like, he was just, like, a man having an affair, and he had, like, made it clear to this woman that she was the mistress, and she had, like, no concept of what being a, mis a mistress meant. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That, like, warmed me to him, because I was like, at least he was, like, Bitch, please, you're my mistress. Like, I don't know. He didn't, like, lie to her in the moment and be like, oh, I'll leave my wife someday. He was like, no, this is what this is. 
I like I respected that about him. But then I here's my thing. Okay, so I feel like he's been way too successful for how talented he is. Like at best, David Boreanaz should be like a Hallmark star. You oh know, God, like he, he would be an amazing Hallmark star. You should be in those Christmas movies that you and grandma are obsessed with that I can't watch due to my cynicism. Because um, I'm always like, why aren't they wearing gloves? It's so cold. Um, but yeah, don't you think that David Boreanaz should at best have been like a total, a total like, like lifetime Hallmark Channel we star. And instead he's on every episode of television ever between Buffy, Angel and freaking Bones. Which like, is that show still on? <laughs> Well, oh, I, it's on. just I that you called me the other night and you <laughs> were going back and forth. We were talking about Angel because I'm watching it too. And you were like, I hate him. Angel's stupid. He's horrible. And then two seconds later, you would be like, oh, he's so great. I, lo- I love I love David Boreanaz. And then you would be like, ah, but I hate him. He's the worst. And I, I couldn't figure out your relationship to him because you <laughs> just were really conflicted so i keep um texting you pictures of him throughout the day just to just to piss you off he has like that facial structure that i enjoy though like like you know it's very masculine he has like he has a strong brow he's not my he's not my cup of tea i mean to each his own to each his own okay this is getting this is getting uh this is called the personal talk yeah, yeah, we're our... we're here to talk about Leo. <laughs> we don't want to talk about David Boreanaz anymore. We're going to talk about Leo. And yeah. I actually have um, a callback to one of our earlier episodes where we were wondering um, who Leo's first supermodel girl or first model girlfriend was. Mm-hmm. So I did a little research and I found his dating history. Oh, dear God. Do you want to hear it? Yes, please. Okay. All right. It begins in 1994 and his first model girlfriend is bridget hall you know who that is who that i don't know some girl okay probably on, very let me get on let me get on the google machine probably very pretty i'm assuming blonde um apparently she found his bedroom skills lacking and so she ditched him oh she's really pretty but she's got like like Either dark br- blonde or light brown hair, like kind of like mine, actually. Oh, maybe that hurt him so bad that he was like, never again, blondes forever. And she's from Arkansas. She's probably related to us. <laughs> yes, everyone in Arkansas is related to everyone else in Arkansas. There's like 15 people in Arkansas. Oh, actually, it's highly oh possible. I, um, in one of my, um, groups for one of the podcasts I like online, um, this girl was like, I'm from Mountain Home, Arkansas. And I was like, oh, no way. My, Grandma was from Mountain Home. Do you know any Bodenhammers? And she's like, yeah, I'm a teacher. And Jim Bodenhammer is um, my substitute all the time. And I'm like, I bet he's my cousin. Oh, 100%. Yeah, Jim. Good old Jimmy Bodenhammer. Holla. Now you have uh, yeah, friend of the podcast, Jimmy Bodenhammer. Yeah, um, I, bet he, I bet he listens. You've like proved my point that everyone in Arkansas is related to us. Okay, so we're all related to Bridget Hall then. Leo's first model girlfriend. I should be a lot prettier if I'm related to her. Yeah, you're very pretty. Oh, by oh, the way, I told somebody at work about this podcast, um, and they gave me a look like I ha- was absolutely insane. Well, F them. Yeah. They're clearly idiot. No, they're no, clear- no. They're clearly <laughs> idiot. <laughs> no, the next, thing, the next thing he said was, well, he really does make good film choices. 
he doesn't just come along and take any script. And I was like, I know. And then we discussed him. You know, people don't realize that they feel deeply about Leo until you start talking about him. So that's why we all need to discuss him on the regular. I I didn't realize that like other people feel this way about him, but it turns out I'm about to marry someone who's seen almost all of his movies and his best friend has like a major man crush on Leo. That's amazing and fantastic and I maybe that should be just like the joint bachelor bachelorette party is a Leo party. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, moving on, moving on, because we're only okay, at girlfriend, girlfriend number one. 1994, Brittany Daniel, who is the girl who um, is in this movie, uh, The Basketball Diaries, and she plays uh, the girl that Jim has like a one night stand with and she gives him drugs for the first time. Not super cool, but it was his girlfriend briefly, or at least while he was filming this. She also played the twins on Sweet Valley High, the TV series. And if you watch the reality show Ruby about the... Um, the obese lady who was trying to lose weight. Uh, she's her super hot friend who's always telling her she should have a baby. Yeah. So. Which, I mean, it has nothing to do with Ruby's weight, but just like mentally she was not in a place to have a baby. Well, yeah. And, you know, yeah. I wonder what happened to her. Anyway. Oh, wait. Brittany Daniels reveals cancer battle with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, man. Oh, I hope she's Okay. Sending you, sending you lots of uh, healing vibes, Brittany Daniel. Yeah, remember that time you were with Leo. It will help heal you. I know. Okay, um, next one. 1995, Naomi Campbell, model number two. I do not need to Google her. I know what she looks like. I know, and that's like his second model girlfriend. He he aims high. Mm-hmm. He aims. He reaches for the stars. He does <laughs> not go to the gutter. Yeah, um, no, no, no. They they dated very briefly in 1995, but they're still good friends, and sometimes they go on vacation together. Super cute. Wait, but doesn't she, like, throw her phones at people and, like, throw temper tantrums? You know, just because someone has a temper problem doesn't mean they're not a good person inside. That's true. I I have a bad temper on occasion. Unless they're Russell Crowe. Because I hate Russell Crowe. (laughs) Okay. 1996 to 1998, we have Kristen Zhang, model number three. And this is the one I totally remember. Because this is the girlfriend that he had during Romeo and Juliet and Titanic. And I hated her so much. And I'm still jealous because she was she dated him during his prime floppy hair time. So I'm still jealous. But apparently she he considered wait, he considered her to be like the love of his life at the time, but she dumped him because he surrounded himself with models and she thought his friends were too immature. So, tough break, you know. <laughs> Wait, the pussy posse was too immature? <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't believe that. With a name like that, you think that they would just be running around as upstanding young gentlemen. <laughs> wait, wait, she is she's the girlfriend that's in that like what I would call the iconic photo of him with the yeah. like wide white lip, uh, white collared shirt. You don't even have to like describe it. I know just the picture. And she's like looking yeah. at him in a way that you know, I would look at him. <laughs> yeah. She's looking at him the way the world looks at him. Mm-hmm. And she's wearing like a brown outfit. Yeah. Yeah, that's her. Okay. Oh, I know exactly what picture you're talking about. Everyone knows what picture I'm talking about. <laughs> it's not the picture, though. The picture is different. The picture is the one. This is like picture number two. Yeah. Picture number one is the one with the blue background and also the wide collar, but mm-hmm. um, more of a staged picture. This is... um. 
it when it's not staged it's candid candid uh this is a candid picture number one mm-hmm. and yes from i think it's from the romeo and juliet premiere oh. anyway 1997 uh natasha henstridge model number four uh they had a reported fling and noticed the overlapping time with kristen zhang hmm. leo i mean if you were him in the prime of life you couldn't just stick to one lady could you I mean, David Boreanaz couldn't. Jesus Christ, don't talk about him anymore. <laughs> don't talk about him anymore. Do you like that the thing that I hate about David Boreanaz is not that he cheated on his wife? Like, that bothers me very little. It's just, like, everything else about him. We are not I'm sorry, okay, about Natasha Henstridge, this is not, who else? This is not Let's Talk About David Boreanaz, because I would not be on that podcast. I would be on Let's Talk About Spike or Let's Talk About Buffy. Okay. Um, 1998, Helena Christensen, model number five, Victoria's Secret model. They had a brief fling after Titanic, so jealous over here. 1998, Amber Valletta, model number six. Leo saw her in a magazine, and he had his people track her down so he could meet her, because that's what it's like to be Leo. I mean, that's early Tinder. That's how I get my dates. You just Uh look through magazines? But that is Tinder. That's the same thing. It's like, it's, um, rich people Tinder. You just look through a magazine, you pick out your model. <laughs> I mean, you're probably right. It's just upsetting. You order her up with your with your people. She shows up, you know. Yeah. It's 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 awful, but it's true. Hmm. Um, I'm sure she has a say. It's not like she's there against her will. Uh, 1998, Bijou Phillips, model number seven. He got her into acting, and then she left him for Elijah Wood, which he's great, but that's a downgrade. 1998, also, Ava... Herzegova, model number eight. They only dated for one month because she was married to the dr- the drummer of Bon Jovi. So, wait, 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 wait. So she was married to a guy who was in Bon Jovi, and mm-hmm. she has an affair with Leonardo DiCaprio because her life isn't fair. Oh my God, this bitch! I know. Whatever. I hope one of her to- toes falls off. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I mean the small one. The least, the one that's not going to affect that much. Uh, 2000 to 2005. You won't need to look this one up. Giselle Bunchen. Ooh, Giselle Bunchen. Model number nine. They broke up a few times and got back together. Together, They considered getting married, but they didn't. And then she took a major downgrade and she married some asshole named Tom Brady. He sucks. Hey, Tom Brady. <laughs> I hate Tom Brady, too. I have zero confused feelings about him, and he's also super hot. Don't deny it. He looks like Sam Hewen, but, like, dumber. (laughs) Like, Sam Hewen has something going on behind the eyes. Yeah, but you have to be smart to be a quarterback, actually. Do you? Yeah, you do. I don't know anything about sports ball. I'm sure it's hard. You have to be smart to be a quarterback. But maybe he's just sports smart. You have to be smart... You have to have some sort of intelligence to be good at sports. It's just a different kind. I'm not saying that all people who play sports are stupid. I'm saying this particular person who cheats and gets away with it and is rewarded as being the greatest of all time is stupid. The goat? Ugh. <laughs> Hundo P. <Okay. laughs> Hundo P. Uh, if we ever had a bar, we should call it Hundo P. Anyway. <laughs> um... In 2005 to 2011, Bar Raffaele, model number 10. 
Um, they hooked up because they were both beautiful and both really into activism. And they like to ride their bikes together. Oh, that sounds nice. I know. Doesn't that sound great? That one should have worked out. That would have been good. Yeah. Oh, and she's Israeli. Mm-hmm. That explains why she's so beautiful. I think she's married to some other dude now, though. Um, 2009, Anne, I'm not even going to attempt the last name, starts with a V, ends with a Jaina. Um, model number 11. He took her to Spain during a six-month break up with Bar Raffaele. Because he can't just, like, have time alone. It's got to be, you know, got to be accompanied. That's how modelizing works. Uh, 2011, Blake Lively. They dated for four months, and he liked that she was domestic and that she could cook for him. But then she found Ryan Reynolds, and I think that is a much better pair. Oh, my God. Blake Lively and I have the same birthday, but one year apart. Well, you practically dated Leo then. Practically. <laughs> I mean, Just one year off. <laughs> makes me so happy. Good for you. <laughs> uh, I share my birthday with Jesus, so let's just mic drop. Anyway. <laughs> Um, 2011, Madalena Genia, model number 12. They briefly dated while filming Gatsby in Australia. Ooh, she's a brunette. Yeah, she's not blonde. It's very, it's a, it's off brand for him. (laughs) She looks a little like Angelina Jolie, but like less scary. Oh my God, she's my age. And she was, has the birthday that I have always thought should have been mine. August 8th, 1988. So it could be 8888. Oh, oh man, that that's what <laughs> that was mean. I'm just kidding. We don't slut shame uh, on this show. I'm not shaming her for being a slut. I'm shaming her for having the birthday you want. And then call her a bitch. <laughs> same same thing. Okay. <laughs> God, we're 2000- a little punch drunk today. <laughs> we're crazy. 2013, Tony Garn, model number 14, Victoria's Secret model. Uh, they broke up when Leo was seen leaving a nightclub with 20 women. Oh, my God. She was born in 1992. I don't really want you to read these years to me anymore. 1992. They make me feel like dying. <laughs> it's literally the worst thing I've ever heard. Please continue. Um, Donald Trump is president. Okay, that's worse. Why would you have to bring <laughs> me down? David Boreanaz. Uh, it's a little better, but also a little worse. I'm confused. Uh, anyway, 2015, Kelly Rohrbach, model number 15, swims to, um, what, why can I not remember what SI stands for? Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. And I just wrote, nope, not the one. Uh, 2015, Rihanna, I hate her so much, and I'm gonna deny that this ever happened. I I actually I don't. don't think they ever dated. I think they were like friends who were both really attractive people and naturally they made out. Yeah. No, she said he she said he was um the best one on her list. On her F list? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Good for you, Leo. All that I mean, good for Leo, like, but like Like was this pre or post Drake? I have no idea. I don't like her. Also though, like her ex boyfriend is Chris Brown, so like Oh, he's a oh, my God. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Chris Brown, like, beat her in a car. He's, like, a terrible person. I know. I understand that. But I'm just saying I don't know what their, you know, other life was like. Oh, okay. Keep going, please. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to talk about her anymore because it never happened. 
2016, Laura Whitmore, Irish TV presenter. Great name. Pretty girl, but she was just a fling. 2016, also 2016, uh, Victoria Robinson, model number 16, 23 years old. And he took her to a Justin Bieber show. Oh, like he's her dad or her creepy uncle. (laughs) Here, I got some tickets to the Justin Bieber concert. I'll even wear a t-shirt. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's weird. She's like, who's Justin Timberlake? He sounds old. Oh, my God. No. (laughs) No! And last one, 2016, Nina Agdahl, model number 17. And that's possibly still his girlfriend. So that's it. 17 models, most of them blonde. Oh, no. Then there are people who claim to have, he, that he may be dated, like Juliette Lewis. I don't think that ever happened. She, I feel like he was like her little brother. Well, some people have weird families. Um, Miranda Kerr. And uh, this is uh, this did not happen. Paris Hilton. No, 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 no. Paris Hilton wishes. Paris Hilton thought speed limits were suggestions. So anyway, uh, so that's Leo's list of girlfriends. Those are the confirmed uh, many. That that is quite a little black book he's got there. He's like almost never dated a normal human. No, he's not. He's never dated a normal human. Yeah, I know, but it's really all just because he's so in love with Kate Winslet, and he can't have her because she's married to Ned Rock and Roll, and therefore he can't have her, and he is sad, and he must surround himself with models. He's one of those people. Maybe, maybe she, maybe she is one of those people who's like, I can't marry him. He's my best friend because he doesn't. They don't understand. You're actually supposed to marry your best friend. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, we're, more, we're more best friends than anything. I'm sorry. That's what you're supposed to be with your marriage person. That sounds, I mean, so, I mean, with your marriage person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a million different ways to be married. But like being married to your best friend is not a bad thing. It's friggin' ideal. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. I'd marry any of my best friends, but they're. You know, I'm not attracted to them because they're all ladies and all in relationships. Kate. And yet again, I am alone. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? That's, that's all. I said we that spend plenty that. of time together. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Okay, okay. should we go on anyway, Go on to the movie? To, to the movie at hand. Okay, so Laura, before we talk about the actual movie, could you please tell mm-hmm. the fine people what we are drinking this week? Uh, we are drinking non-alcoholic beverages this week because we thought that there was enough substance abuse in this movie and we didn't want to imbibe while talking about such a serious subject. I personally, right now, I am drinking the weirdest concoction. I'm drinking orange fizzy water mixed with fruit punch Gatorade. That is so disgusting. You would be surprised. That's like literally the grossest thing I've ever heard of in my whole it's life. It's because of my my salt issues. I have to do it. I'm just drinking water. Yeah, well. Out of, out of a, a glass bottle. You know, if I don't have enough salt, then I get really sick, so. I know, but there's like better ways to get salt than Gatorade. <laughs> and orange, and fizzy water, orange fizzy water. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. <clears throat> okay, so Laura had my you cocktail, seen. My uh, non-alcoholic cocktail here is called the uh, the basketball dream. Well, that's pretty good. Nice yeah. job. Okay, I approve. Thanks. Um, had you ever seen the Basketball Diaries before? 
No. Um, as we have established before, when choosing my own movies, I generally go with like something happy or sappy. And I tend to watch the same movies like a hundred times in a row because I'm capable of enjoying them as much like the second time as the 35th time. I just I always enjoy watching movies a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure that I heard about the Basketball Diaries, though, and I heard that it was about drugs and I took a hard pass because that sounds really depressing. But I have a message for my former self. Laura, shame on you. This movie is fantastic, you ridiculous peasant. <laughs> I like how this image of you as like a Dickensian matchstick girl being like, I won't watch the basketball diaries. And then like you like pass by in a carriage and like throw some bread at your face. <laughs> and are like, you, you should. It's great. <laughs> you ridiculous peasant. Okay. Not really. I mean, there were some really dark times in my life where this movie probably would have like put me over the edge in a bad way. So it's probably best that I waited to watch it. Yeah. But man, this movie is this movie's good. So good. Yeah. It's really, I mean, really good. You've seen it before, yeah? Yeah, I saw it before. I also read the book. I'm actually a very large Jim Carroll fan. Jim Carroll wrote The Basketball Diaries. Oh, He's... Don't call yourself large, you're average sized. Oh my god, that's such a dad joke. <laughs> That's like when dad called and asked what I was doing and I was making a sandwich and I said, I'm making myself a sandwich. And he goes, don't make yourself a sandwich. I liked you much better when you were a girl. I love that joke. Oh my God. He thought it was so funny. And I was, I think I hung up on him. I was so upset. <laughs> um, anyway, so you're a big Jim Carroll fan. I love Jim Carroll, who Jim Carroll wrote the Basketball Diaries. It's the, he, Leo plays young Jim Carroll in this movie. Um, and I read um, the Basketball Diaries after right after college and watched the movie because I had taken a class called uh, my last class in college was um, downtown art literature and music in downtown New York from 1960 to 1980. So like basically the greatest class in the history of the world. And um, we read Jim, another one of Jim Carroll's books, forced entries, um, which I actually like a little better than the basketball diaries, but you know, the basketball diaries are still amazing because he was so young when he wrote them. But yeah, I watched the movie. I read the book. Totally loved it. Um, Jim Carroll is one of my favorite American writers. And I like his music. I pretty much just dig like literally anything that Jim Carroll did. Um, sadly, he is no longer with us. Um, but he lived like a really long life for someone who did as many drugs as he did. Uh, he, was si- he was 60 when he died. Which is a lot longer than I would have expected him to have Well, yeah, he probably should have died at, like, 15. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I... So, okay, what were your expectations of this movie? Since you had not seen it before. Well, you know, ordinarily in, like, drug movies, there's always, like... There's kind of a formula. There's, like, the normal person, and then they get into it. Then there's, like, a period where it's so great, you know, and everything's fun, and you're like, man, drugs look amazing. And then all of a sudden there's like, they fall off a cliff and they are like, you know. Like a metaphorical cliff? Yeah. Or a real one. I don't know. Uh, And they end up, and it ends up being like a nightmare, you know. And I was just expecting it to be kind of like that. And it was, but like way better. I mean, not so much in a, I I liked that they didn't glamorize the drug use. There Mm -hmm. was like. A very short period when it was like he felt like it was a good thing. Very short, like one scene. And in other movies, I feel like they dedicate a lot of time to that period when the people are enjoying being 
addicted to drugs. Yeah, like um So I was kind of I.e. the Wolf of like Wall that. Street. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for that. But um I haven't seen that. But yeah, I, I expected like more formulaic, kinda like that. And and very depressing. And I expected him to die because um because Leo dies all the time. I obviously didn't really have any expectations of it because I'd already seen it. Um, but yeah, this, I just, I loved this movie. It's one of my favorite movies. And like, it was like visiting an old friend because I have this weird, uh, history of like exclusively reading drug fueled writings for long periods of time. Um, but I like Jim Carroll in particular and, and like other writers out there have this way of like making me understand drug use. Cause it's like just nothing that I've ever had any interest in, like. I don't even like to take Advil, and I, like, had a bad experience with morphine in a hospital once, so I'm like, no, I'm, I'm good. Um, but, like, they have this way of, of, like, normalizing it and not not glamorizing it, but also not making it this, like, reality TV disaster. Like, they have this way of writing about it like it's just their existence. So, anyway, I mean, I, I really enjoyed going back and watching this movie and, and as a grown-up and... The Basketball Diaries, great book. If you haven't read it, you should. Um, and Leo does such a good job in this movie. Amazing job. He's so good. Like, I don't think I registered when I first saw it, like, how good he is. And, like, I don't know. I was comparing it to the book too much when I watched the movie. And so, I like, I just had a different experience watching it this time. And it it, like, really puts you in that frame of mind of, like, like the sheer desperation and, like, completely all-encompassing like stupor that is drug addiction and and he does such a good job of of showing how quickly that happens super quickly do you want to tell us about this movie yeah i'd love to so the basketball diaries came out in 1995 when leo was 21 years old which is, he looks like, he does not look 21 in this movie. He looks like. No, he looks like he's like 16. Yeah, he looks really young. He's so scrawny. And like his head, he still has that large head. Oh, I love his large head. But he's so scrawny, he looks like a little boy. Um, <clears throat> So he's playing uh, a 15-year-old. Uh, and he looks, he looks 15. So he's kind of a late bloomer, our little man. Yeah, he had a long, awkward face. Yeah, uh, as a beautiful, awkward face, but a long one. Um, as Meredith said, the movie is a film adaptation of Jim Carroll's autobiography, also called The Basketball Diaries. The book takes place during Jim Carroll's youth in the 1960s, but the film is, um, the time period is, uh, 1990s New York City. Which I didn't realize at all. Like, it makes zero difference. I think it was probably just for, like, filming purposes, so they didn't have to so they could just do it there and not like have old cars and stuff like yeah probably but i didn't even notice <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i didn't either uh the film actually received lukewarm reviews from critics which is ridiculous because they are stupid fools mm-hmm. it was awesome jim carroll wrote the bulk of the music for the soundtrack not like for the movie but the music was his used for the soundtrack Mm-hmm. The which Jim Carroll Band. The Jim Carroll Band, which is pretty awesome because I definitely noticed when I was watching, I was like, wow, they found some. I didn't know that. And I was like, wow, they found some really perfect music for this. And then it turns out the guy who's the subject of the movie wrote the songs. So, yeah, but of course, that fits right right in, especially that Catholic boy song. Oh, that whole album is really good. I, I think I have it. 
Um, yeah, no, like, I, I specifically, like, listened to this album, like, on repeat while walking around the East Village thinking I was way cooler than I was. Yeah, a lot of people in New York think they're way cooler than they are when they walk around with music in their ears, you know? You know yeah, because you're, like, in a cool backdrop, and then you've got this soundtrack that is, like, making you feel like you're in your own movie. You basically live in, like, the world's largest movie set, so. Oh, I, I did that a lot of times when I was walking around there. I'd be like, yeah, this is my movie. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I understand. Um, the movie was directed by Scott Calvert, who is known mainly for this film and also for his work in music videos, which I definitely could see in a lot of places in the direction of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, sad fact, though, Scott Calvert is no longer with us. He committed suicide in 2014, Oh, which is such a bummer. And now let's move on to the plot of the movie so we can be further bummed out. OK, sounds good. <laughs> So the movie is a coming-of-aged slash down-the-rabbit-hole-into-hell tale of 15-year-old basketball star Jim Carroll. Jim lives in New York City um, in Manhattan with his mother and attends an all-boys Catholic high school where he's a troublemaker and kind of the bad boy. When we first see a classroom in the school, the camera like pans across the faces of teenage boys wincing in unison as we hear a rhythmic like smack, smack, smack. Thank you and for we, that demonstration. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> smack, and then I also did a sound effect. I know you, you didn't know. just you didn't just tell us; you showed us. I know for for people who have trouble, you know, visualizing. Mm-hmm. So, if for people who are auditory learners, <laughs> you told them and gave a sound effect. Yes. Yes. Uh, so when we reach the front of the room, when the camera like pans around, reaches the front of the room. We see Jim, Leo, on all fours being paddled on the butt by an old school priest. And when the bell rings, Jim says, that's too bad, Father. I was really starting to enjoy myself. So he's like a total smartass. And the priest says, well, we can do it again tomorrow. Because he's a bad boy. So I guess he gets spanked every day. I mean, that's some Um, people's jam. Getting spanked every day by a priest? Yeah, like for reals. (laughs) Some people like that. I don't know that he liked it. He was just a smart-ass kid. No, he just, like, couldn't, because masculinity is so fragile, he couldn't, like, show that it hurt really bad and, like, ruined his pride. He had to, like, be cool for his tough-ass friends. His friends. Speaking of his friends, Jim is a part of a group of friends, a squad, if you will, who are all a bunch of troublemakers, too. Um, His friends include Pedro, the only one who's not on the basketball team, but he takes the opportunity to steal from the opposing players during games. And then there's Neutron, who's probably the least terrible of all of them. Um, he's more a little bit more clean cut. kind of. I liked him. I like Neutron. I like didn't realize he existed until like he becomes crucial to the plot. <laughs> well, because he pieces out, you know. Yeah. Later. He's sort of in the background. He's not, he's not at the forefront. He's Maybe on the periphery. I like him. Well, basically because I absolutely hate the character of Mickey, the most obnoxious, testosterone-filled douchebag who has zero redeeming qualities. And when I first saw Mickey, I was like, oh, this guy is a poor man's Mark Wahlberg. But it turns out it was Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark. Hold up. But like, okay, so was was Maki Mock even acting in this? Because this just seems like who I always thought Marky Mark was before he, like, cleaned up his act and made us call him Mark Wahlberg. 
Um, I've never met him, and I, I didn't know him during his pants-dropping period of life, but this could very well be just himself. Because wasn't he, like, doing a lot of drugs and, like, beating the bejesus out of people? Pretty sure he has a violent history. Yeah, I don't think he was, like, a stand-up gentleman in his youth, and I feel like he wasn't even acting, and it was really annoying, and I am not, I don't know. Like, I used to feel... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm about to do it again. I used to feel very similarly about Mark Wahlberg that I that I, and to the way that I do about David Boreanaz, but I am not oh confused about my feelings about Mark Wahlberg because he is terrible. You're not allowed to mention Mar- uh, David Boreanaz for three hours. Okay. 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 Fine. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I mean, Mark Wahlberg is really good in this role, but I don't believe he was acting. If you want to mention him, just call him the Big D. No, that sounds like yeah, that see, sounds like a peen reference. I know exactly. That's why you're not going to want to do it. Oh God. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if he was acting, but he was ugh, the worst, the most obnoxious character. And when we meet this crew, uh, they're on the Staten Island ferry, huffing something or other to get high, and running from some dude who Pedro has just puked on his head. <laughs> Good old-fashioned fun. Yeah, just, you know, it kind of seems like some innocent, quote-unquote innocent, teenage stuff. Um, you know, just stuff, kid, kids messing around. Uh, they smoke and they drink, and at one point, a strung-out sex worker, played by Juliette Lewis. Again, hey, Juliet. Aw, how you doing? We missed you. Friend of the podcast, Juliette Lewis. No, she's not, because she's a Scientologist. Yeah, we don't want any part of that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, she's playing a sex worker and she offers them her services for $15. But they mock her and they call her Dopehead. And Jim, um, he first says like, yeah, all four of us? What do you think, guys? Which I was like, no, I don't want to see this. But then he pours chips on her head and sends her away. Also, like, I just I know your worth, girl. $15? Mm. $15. No. She, nah. Much more. 150. She was she's like a good-looking chick even though she was really sweaty and couldn't open her eyes or stand up straight. Yeah, she's yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, yeah, 150. No less. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know how like sex work pricing works, but I, I think $15 either, I is selling yourself a little short. I remember when I first saw Pretty Woman, and I forget how much he pays her. He's like like, it's, like, 3000 a night or something? No, it's, like, $3,000 for, like, the whole thing. Oh, okay. And I was, like, that is so not enough. <laughs> yeah, she didn't know her worth either. Wait, I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. It's not telling me. Oh, yeah, $3,000. And yeah. she's, like, woohoo! And I'm, like, girl, this guy is staying in, like, the crazy penthouse in this crazy place. Aim higher! <laughs> like, Fifty thousand, no less. And he probably would have come down to like twenty. Know your worth. That's all I have to say. I mean, I would be a high price call girl. I'm not. Uh, g- gentle <laughs> listeners, when entering the field of sex work, know your worth. Yes. If if you're considering that career path, just keep that in mind. Um. So anyway. Jim also has a best friend named Bobby who is battling leukemia. And Jim and Bobby have been best friends since they were three years old. They're basically brothers. And the way the f- that the friends talk about him, that the group talks about him, 
Bobby used to kind of be like the ringleader of the gang. Like they mentioned a lot of like pranks he used to do and stuff that they thought was like super cool, like lighting bags of dog poop on fire. <laughs> teenage teenage <laughs> boys think steps. such weird things are cool. <laughs> yeah, they were like laughing about that. Like it was so creative, like no one had ever done it before. And it was super hilarious. Man, I don't even know what I would do if I had a boy. I'd just like shake my head and send him on his way because I, I don't even I don't understand. Like, don't, even, don't even think about it. It's too stressful. Okay. <laughs> Jim is the only one of the friends who visits Bobby in the hospital. And he does things like bringing him some fun pictures of a lady getting it on with a donkey. Aww. Because that's what you bring your friend who's suffering from cancer. Weird bestiality porn. Yeah. That, I, I'm sure Bobby would have just been pleased with like some boobs. I don't think Bobby wanted any Yeah, Bobby of it. didn't feel very good. Yeah. And Jim also uh, busts him out of the hospital and takes him on like a wheelchair joyride through the streets of New York. Um, and finally, they end up at a peep show because nothing says bonding like watching a woman in pasties in a string leotard dance around you for you and your buddy. Um, but Bobby doesn't really enjoy himself there. He sees like a, a look of pity on the dancer's face when she sees him and maybe a little bit of disgust because he's um, he's bald. He's no eyebrows. He's kind of um, starting to like get emaciated. He looks very unhealthy and she looks at him just kind of like, ugh. And so he gets upset and he makes Jim take him back. And Jim says, uh, next time we won't go there. And Bobby says, well, next there won't be a next time. Which you took to mean just like he's saying that they won't go out again, right? And I thought that it meant that he knew he was going to die. Um, Yeah, I didn't. I don't know why I didn't see it that way. You're probably right. I just thought that it was, seemed like when Jim's like, oh, yeah, next time, and Bobby's like, mm, I'm, there's not going to be a next time, like, because I'll be dead. I, I just kind of took it as him, like, choosing not to live anymore, but not necessarily, like, accepting actual death. Yeah, but that passage in the book is, like, one of the most, all the passages about Bobby are, like, really intense. Like, I distinctly remember them. They're really intense. And the whole storyline with Bobby is really intense. Um, and I'd kind of, for, I, it either like went over my head or I'd kind of forgotten that this is like actually a, like a grief narrative about how destructive grief is when you have no support system and nobody like teaches you how to manage it and all of the systems that are in place completely fail you. Well, you said that he, in the movie he's uh, 15, but you said in real life he was 13. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jim Carroll was 13 the first time he used heroin, and it was right after Bobby died. So, yeah. So he wasn't actually that much older than I was when Adam died. No. Yeah, I was um, 10. So yeah. he wasn't that much older. Not in real life, no. Yeah, not in real life. But in the movie, he was older. Yeah. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so speaking of his support system, uh, the adults in Jim's life are his mother who is, um, oh my gosh, why can't I think of the word? Housekeeping. A housekeeper. Oh my gosh. She's a housekeeper um, at a hotel. And she really does try. Like, she wants him to get a job so he'll stay off the streets. And she's, but she's a single mother just trying to make ends meet. Um, and she has no idea what to do with him. And he also is friends with a man named Reggie, 
who he plays pickup basketball games with on the weekends. Played by Ernie Hudson. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where is he from again? Who you gonna call? Ghostbusters. There's a ghost at my work right now. No, I don't want to hear about it because I'm in a dark pantry by myself. Okay, I'll tell you later about how I pressed two copies and 21 came out. Okay, um, uh, a man named Reggie, um, and then Swifty, who is his creepy as hell basketball coach, played by Bruno Kirby. Yes, Jess from When Harry Met Sally. Um, so he really doesn't have. And then there's, of course, like the priests at his school, but they're really just there to punish him and they're not very helpful. So he really doesn't have any supervision or strong role models at all. Um, so Jim and his friends like regularly drink and do the inhalant thing, but they aren't really into anything more than just causing like general mischief. And in a scene with the four main guys, Jim says that each borough has a test. And I forgot what the other boroughs were besides Brooklyn. It's a test to see how tough you are. And Brooklyn's is to burn a cigarette down to the filter on your arm without wincing. Meredith, have you completed this? Um, no, I have not. Um, I don't know if this is real. I'm going to have to ask around. <laughs> it seems I mean, like the kind of foolish thing that people would do. But uh, no, they, they don't make you do that when you move here and you get your requisite pair of Ray-Bans. I, they didn't, I mean, nobody approached me when I was there and asked me to burn my skin. Yeah, but Brooklyn's like a whole different place now than it used to be. Like, maybe there's a new test. I'll see if I can figure it out and I'll report back. Possibly not a real thing anymore. But in Manhattan, the test of toughness is to jump into the crap-filled river off of a cliff. Mm-hmm. So the boys go up there and they're enjoying a day in their underwear, just lounging <laughs> on the side of the cliff. Uh, in the sunshine, getting ready to jump, and uh, Neutron tells Jim not to tell the other guys, but he has a surprise for Jim later that night. So after mooning the fairy that goes by, um, as, so as one that, does, as one does. I mean, what else would you do when a fairy was going by? Wave? That's ridiculous. Show your ass. Um, so they all uh, jump off the cliff, which was fitting. Because everything in their lives is about to go downhill. That scene was so stressful. I was convinced one of them was going to smack their little heads and like be bloody and horrible, and everyone was going to it was going to start off bad. It was like my heart was beating. I was so stressed. I, out. Told, I thought it was I thought it was going to be Pedro because he was like saying he never jumped before and he wanted to walk down, and they were like, "You can't walk down. How are you going to get your clothes? You can't just walk around naked." And I was so convinced that he was going to. Because you know how sometimes when people are scared to do something, they end up, like, tensing up or it goes wrong because they're scared? Yeah. I totally I totally thought he was going to smack his head and die. You just you just basically <laughs> described my entire life. What, tensing up and... <laughs> things, things going wrong because I get scared. <laughs> well, take a cue from Leo. Just jump off that cliff, girl. I've actually jumped off, like, a 30-foot cliff into water before like that. I guess it didn't help. No, it was horrible. Um, so, uh, later that night, Neutron takes Jim to an apartment where there are these two blonde girls, Winky and Blinky. Blinky is played by Leo's real-life girlfriend at the time, Brittany whatever the hell. Daniel. <clears throat> Brittany Daniel. Uh, Neutron and Winky seem to be involved, but there's basically, and they're basically like hardcore making out while Jim and Blinky are just like sitting awkwardly on the couch. It's, it's so uncomfortable. 
And then Blinky offers him some, what I have been now told is cocaine, because I don't know these things. And I was like, what is it? Meth? Heroin? What do you snort? No, it was cocaine. (laughs) I wrote down, Blinky offers him something snortable. (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, dear. (laughs) Um, So anyway, she gives him some snortable cocaine. (laughs) Cocaine. Uh, And tells him it will make him Superman in bed. And Jim thinks about it for a second, and he's like, "Uh, okay. And then he snorts some of it, and then it's all over for him. The next time we see him, he's in bed um, after they've just had sex, and he's snorting more and more. He's writing furiously in this little notebook. So throughout the movie, um, there are voiceovers from uh, Leo, or Jim, of the poetry that this notebook contains. He carries around in his back pocket and just writes in it all the time. And it's basically the diary of his descent into drugs. It's the basketball diary. Um, So Bobby dies shortly after Jim starts using drugs. And Jim is left to contemplate life and death and this horrible tragedy that was totally out of his control. And he has no support system, nobody to help him along. He's just kind of like, Feeling his way through the darkness. Even even his friends are total weenuses about it. Like they don't understand why he's so upset that his best friend died. They're they're like like Maki Mark is like Maki Mark is like you gotta move on. He's gone. I'm gonna turn a trash can upside down before we play basketball. (laughs) Yeah, what was that? He like walked over and like picked up a trash can and he's like put it over his head and just threw it to the ground. It was his male rage. When left unchecked, unchecked, it leads to destruction. It it leads to picking up a trash can and throwing it down. I mean, to be fair, I have seen that before, like trash cans that people have picked up and thrown. So this is apparently something the youths do when they are upset about life and have no control and must act out. I don't know that I've ever wanted... I mean, I want to do a lot of weird things when I'm upset, but like picking up trash cans and throwing them, not so much. I want to like eat people or something well, you know but, but we not. also had a mother who like when we got upset as children would like give us pens uh, like crayons and paper and be like draw how you feel or she'd take us into a corner and be like think through your feelings use your words yeah how are you feeling? so we had like more support than most people get in a lifetime we had so much more support than poor old jim i know Carol. Um, so yeah, there's a scene when Bobby dies where Jim is, uh, entering a church, like a big cathedral, Catholic cathedral, walking down the, the aisle, and there's just a casket there, and Bobby's laying in it, and he has to look at his best friend, and he's basically kind of shocked at how small he's gotten, and how he looks like a 60-year-old man, even though he's only, like, 15. It's... It's very yeah, sad. It was really sad and and Leo did a really good job with it. And and strangely like the the voiceover did not bother me as much in this movie as I thought it would. Um but I think it's because it, it it's sort of like we'll talk about this with the Great Gatsby when we get to it, but it's sort of like like you're not going to do better than Jim Carroll's words. So like why not use them? Yeah. And 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 but Leo Leo had like it you it wasn't like Leo had just learned the words and was like a teenager acting like he really understood what these words meant and he you know Jim Carroll like appears in this movie so he obviously met him and like spent time with him 
and had chances to like you know get some sort of insight into Jim's life experience. Mm-hmm. I want to be a fly on the wall in that room. What I wouldn't give. I'd be any. I'd be a bed bug. I'd be anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, so soon after Bobby's death, uh, Jim ter- starts doing heroin. And when he first does it, he says that it takes away every bit of pain and guilt and doubt in his body. He's just warm and relaxed and comfortable, which must be so relieving with all the pain. Yeah, that he's I, when he says like, that, I'm like, yeah, course. this is also something that like proper grief counseling could have helped you get to. Oh, I was thinking, man, that sounds awesome. Maybe I should do some heroin. Don't do it. <laughs> bad. Just kidding. It's I not won't. good. <laughs> No, I, you know, in two seconds after that, I was like, nah, nah. Um, and there's a scene of, like, when he first uh, does it, there's a scene of Leo running through a field of bright pink flowers and yellow sunshine, and he's smiling um, until he just kind of, like, falls into the flowers. Like, he's just completely at ease, completely happy, and he's laughing. And I love when Leo laughs. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, you know, how he felt the first time Wait, he did it. Wait, am I insane but or was he wearing a toga in this scene? I think you're insane. And what you're thinking of is actually a Buffy episode. 100%. 100%. Yep. You are. <laughs> that, yeah. Undopey. I got it. I got it. <laughs> All that lives in our heads is Buffy and Leo. <laughs> so, yeah. So, he does it for the first time. But then, as Jim writes... Uh, he starts doing it on Saturdays because it makes him feel cool and important. And then he starts doing it on Saturdays and Tuesdays. And then Saturdays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. And then it has you. And he says, every tough guy on the street corner says it won't happen to him, but it always does. I think that this should be like required reading. It totally it? should. Remember how they used to make us read Go Ask Alice? Th- they should also have you read The Basketball Diaries because I think like you know, because sexism, like dudes don't pay as much attention when they're younger to go ask Alice. Like it doesn't freak them out as much because so much of it is like a female experience. But this is like, it's not as cool as you think to like do a lot of cocaine and sleep with weird girls. No, it's not. I mean, I don't know. I've never done that. Maybe it is really cool. Me neither. Well, I don't think it's cool at all, so it's probably cooler than I think, because I don't think I it's mean, cool. it, okay, here's so. the thing. It's probably super cool until it goes bad. Um, but I think, like, maybe the main reason that I didn't notice that this movie, like, didn't take place in the 60s like the book does is that there's zero mention of, like, HIV or AIDS. Like, whatsoever. Yeah, they, and they're, yeah, like, and they sleeping do, they... with random people. There's sex work involved. There's, you know, like, needle sharing. And it's, like, never mentioned. Like, never brought up. Well, they they even talk about sharing needles like <clears throat> they're um, sitting in like the basement with Mickey and Pedro and Jim gives him like a bottle to drink off and Pedro wipes the outside of the bottle, like the lip of the bottle. And Jim's like, um, <laughs> you wipe that, but you don't even like think twice before you stick yeah. a needle in your arm. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was like as close as it got to being like, hey, sharing needles is bad. <laughs> so from the time that he starts uh, doing heroin regularly Jim's life fall- quickly falls apart um, he's pale, he's sickly he gets withdrawals that leave him sweaty and vomiting he starts being uh, getting in fights with his mom, being violent towards her 
he and his friends start like start a life of crime. They start mugging people. They mug an old lady, which is so horrible. Worst, the worst crime is like the one. There's two that are just so unbelievably stressful. I forgot how stressful this movie is, but like the candy store. Yeah, no, candy let's talk about store. the candy store okay, situation. They... I like could not even watch this scene. Here, you you. Okay, so they need money for drugs. They're also pretty hungry, so they break into this candy store and start like stealing some some stuff. Like they're trying to get money, but they're just looking for anything. And Pedro, just being Pedro, just starts making himself a sweet milkshake. And well, because he's super high and he just wants something yummy. I mean, who can blame him? Milkshakes are wonderful. I'd make myself a milkshake under like any circumstances. Free yeah, exactly, and like a real one with the machine and everything. Um. So anyway, Pedro is just making himself a sweet, sweet milkshake. Jim and Mickey are like, you know, robbing the place, and then Mickey breaks open the cash register, realizes there's zero money, but there's a gun. So he starts playing freaking Russian roulette with his own head, and then Pedro's head. Well, first he's like, first he's running around like pointing it at everything. Like, <laughs> this is so great. And, like, I I couldn't even watch. My hands were over my eyes with just, you know, like, with just my fingers parted so I could barely see through because I was so certain he was going to shoot somebody in the Oh, head. my God. I know. It was so – it was one of the most stressful things I've ever seen. It was so stressful. I mean, props to Marky Mark because, like, you did a good job. You really stressed me out. And he gets across that, like – like they these th- what that scene is meant to do is like show you that these characters care about nothing but drugs. Like they literally do not care if they live or die. They don't care about leaving their friends behind. They like all they care about is getting high, and that's what that scene is meant to yeah, do. Because, because uh, after they um, rob the place and the cops come, they just leave Pedro and he gets arrested. Yeah, they 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 leave him on the floor there, and the cops come get him, and they're uh, Jim and um, friggin' Mickey are out the door. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the other crime that is so awful is um, when Mickey and Jim, they they go to Washington Square Park um, where one would buy heroin, I, I have heard. And you don't do that. I don't think you do that anymore. Where 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 I get my heroin. Actually, the first time I sat down for lunch in the park, someone did try to sell me something. I think it was heroin. I don't remember. Or they asked me if I had any. I don't remember. There was something like that. But um, anyway, so they buy they buy some some heroin from this dude who they've never bought drugs from before. Jim's like, this is so sketchy. And Mickey's like, no, no, everything's cool. Uh... Yeah. Who's the smart one? Leo. Leo knows what's up. They like taste the heroin, which I don't really understand how you determine the quality of heroin. But yeah, they taste it. And then Mickey's like, it's good. It's good. And he gives him this drug dealer $35. And then they walk away and he tastes it again. And he's like, oh, I screwed up. It's terrible. And then chases him down with a gun, chases him up to the top of a roof. Mm -hmm. And then the guy falls off and dies. And Mm -hmm. Mickey, being a stand up gentleman, runs away and leaves Jim there. But he gets his butt kicked by some bikers who hold on to him until the cops get there and he gets like 25 years in Rikers. Yay! Rikers! So, yeah, Mickey disappears, thank God, because he's obnoxious. Ugh, he has a punchable face. Yeah, and then Jim, um, you know, Jim hits a, a stroke of good luck when he, I mean, it starts out bad because he is like basically passed out, almost frozen in the snow, like peed all over himself. so much. 
what do you what are we skipping oh my god we're skipping so much <gasps> oh <laughs> okay the whole let's, thing about we, we can't we we really can't talk about the whole thing now okay okay so okay before we talk about jim's savior moment well yeah you were skipping like to the end i know i'm so tired listeners she has no dedication to the podcast <laughs> just kidding sorry okay. i told you i was hangry <laughs> uh anyway so uh jim's drug use starts to affect his schoolwork and he sleeps during class and he has a fevered dream about entering a school in a black leather trench coat all black with heavy black uh combat boots and um he has a big ass gun with him and i don't know what kind because i hate guns but it's really big and he goes into his classroom and he starts shooting the students as they cower from him. He shoots like six kids. And then he turns the gun on the priest and then he wakes up. Um, this scene was actually like a really big deal uh, because it brought on a lot of lawsuits. This movie happened like four years before Columbine, but it was named in lawsuits of uh, some of the victims' families. And in another school shooting, have you heard of the, um, the Heath High School shooting? No, I have not. Okay, it happened in 1997, so it was like two years before Columbine. And um, apparently this 14-year-old gunman went into school and shot members of his prayer group. And he said that this specific movie, that scene in the Basketball Diaries, caused him to do it, along with pornography, computer games, and natural porn killers. That seems like something that like a really, like a group of moms would have come up with. Yeah, <laughs> like a, like a group of moms were like, it's the video games and the basketball diaries and the natural born killers and the pornographies. The pornographies. Not, it, it, yeah, like I'm sorry, that. How is the porn? How are the pornographies making your son shoot people? That's not. Those are not the same thing. No. No. I don't know if you've seen pornography. We also talk about porn every episode, but anyway, um, I don't know if you've seen pornography, but sometimes they're probably guns, but. Mm, it's not really about that. Yeah, that's not really the main attraction. Unless he's, like, watching snuff films, but... Which um, he could have been. He could have been, but that would be... No, don't blame the porn. Okay, anyway. um, I think that's totally bogus. I think the fact that the scene is even included shows that this particular fantasy... It's disturbing, but it's probably common among teenage boys with issues. Yeah. Like, it didn't just come out of nowhere. No, it's, it's probably a common something that kid, like, kids in, who are having trouble in life fantasize about doing, and they've just started doing it now. Yeah. But, it, I mean, it is kind of interesting that, like, the look that, that Jim has in this fantasy, like, the long leather duster and, like, mm. all black, and, like, that's actually how these shooters dress often. Like well, it, the Columbine, the Columbine. Well, no, but like, okay, so there's this New Yorker. I think it's a New Yorker article. I really have to look this up. But like, they, they those two guys became like the blueprint for a lot of young male sh- school shooters. And they'll they like look at they like watch the videos of them and like study them and like figure out what they did and how they dressed. And they they're like they're they're like idols for these guys. Yeah, each each mass shooter serves as like a. Um, a model for the ones that follow uh like the um sandy hook shooter had a spreadsheet that was seven feet long and four feet wide that ranked and documented every mass shooting oh my god 
Yeah. So he was like trying to like top everybody, but he he studied for months and months. I mean, we need to move yeah, on. That's, I'm gonna throw. That's up. what that's what they do. That's yeah. So I mean, I can see how they would say like, oh, this movie is similar, but I don't think you can say that this movie caused that. It's also a free speech issue. Yeah. So one night, uh, uh, he's found out. Yeah. One night, Jim is. Um, Oh my god, wait, wait, he gets kicked out of school. Okay, so he he's doing so much drugs, he's doing poorly in school, he's doing drugs during his basketball practices. He starts leaving the practice to go to the bathroom um, to do heroin, and his coach, one of his quote-unquote role models, Swifty, thinks this is a sign um, that Jim wants to have a sexual relationship with him. I mean, that's how I always signal people. I just go to the bathroom a lot. Hope they Hope they follow me. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just get up and go to the bathroom and I just give him a quick look right before I go. And then I wait and then I come out five minutes later and then I go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, this guy doesn't think like, hey, maybe the kid's on drugs. He's like, no, kid wants me. Oh, it's so gross. Anyway, he gives him $40. He offers him $40 for the relationship and ends up giving him $40 to keep quiet. Um, And then Jim gets kicked out of school and off the basketball team because of the drugs. And he ends up living on the streets. And one night he's found uh, passed out in the snow, covered in his own urine and almost frozen to death. Meredith, who finds him? Reggie, Ernie Hudson, the old basketball pickup game partner. And what does he do? He takes him to his apartment and he like cleans him up. Or No, he lets him sleep it off first. And then yeah, he leaves him in his own urine. Yeah, he leaves him in his own urine. Um, but then he basically provides a place for for um, Jim to detox and like get clean. And he says that he's doing it because somebody once did this for him. And um, it's really hard to watch. I mean, heroin oh withdrawals look like the literal worst experience you could possibly go through. And um, yeah, these are these are like the roughest. I- withdrawal scenes i've ever seen yeah they're really really hard to watch and um yeah so the symptoms of heroin withdrawal are sweating anxiety panic depression feelings of heaviness cramping in the limbs which is why he's like screaming that his limbs hurt nausea vomiting sleeplessness restlessness but when you actually see him going through it it's like so much worse than that he's pale he's snotty he's drooly he's throwing up he's crying he's screaming in pain pounding the walls and he at one point tries to escape on his hands and knees but reggie has like parked himself in the um door frame and he won't let him out a plus work by leo oh it's so good it's so good how could you not how could you not just be like so enamored with him after seeing that even with all the snot all over his face i mean Anne hathaway won an oscar for having snot on her face so yeah leo should have gotten an oscar um, so Jim starts to get a little bit better, but then J- Reggie has to leave the house and Jim goes straight back to the streets. Um, and this time he turns to sex work in a dingy bathroom and that's where he gets the $35 that buys the bad, uh, heroin that causes Mickey to, um, kind of get that guy pushed off. He doesn't push him off the roof. The guy falls, but he basically backs him off the roof. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. At gunpoint, he kills him. Yeah. 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 He kills him. So then Jim goes back to his mom's for what is possibly the most heartbreaking scene I've ever seen. He's basically he's just asking for her help. She has the door chained but unbolted so he can just get his hand through. 
he's begging her to help him she's saying no um and then he asks her to hold his hand i started crying well wait he's not asking for help he's asking for drugs He's asking for well, I mean, he's saying he's asking for help. He's saying yeah, but what he means is he means give me drugs. No, yeah, he's not asking for help to get clean. He's asking for help like because he needs money. Okay, yeah, that kind of thing. He's not asking for like oh get me clean. He's like I need twenty bucks. Um, but he puts his hand through and he's like hold my hand and then she holds it. She's looking at it like oh this is my little boy and then he like instantly turns violent, starts like pounding on the door. She has to shut him out and then he's just sitting in the hallway ugly crying all out he has nothing left he's basically like almost dead it's so horrible and he does such a good job oh he's oh i love him so much so then she calls the cops on him he gets arrested you want to talk about the no, end there you talk about it i'm tired uh he gets arrested he goes to jail for six prison for six months and he gets sober in prison and he starts reading back over his old diary that he wrote while he was um, on this drug journey. And he starts writing again. So the next time we see him, Jim looks amazing. Like top-notch Leo. Like it, an inch from it, Titanic it is, Leo. It is it, Yeah, it is an inch from Titanic Leo. It is so close. He's healthy. He's super hot. His hair is floppy, long, and amazing. And anyway, his uh, friend Pedro shows up and asks him to go get high with him. And Jim says, no, I got something to do. And I was like, oh, it's going to be AA or NA or something or some sort of step program. But nope, he is doing a performance of his writing. And the people loved it. And I don't know if you noticed this, Meredith, but there's a woman in the audience who appears to be a time traveler from 19. I'm telling you, there's time travelers all over New York City. I see them all the time. Yeah. She's totally dressed like a suffragette or something. Yeah, there's, like, always these weird people who are, like, they look very confused and they're, like, trying to find their way, but they're dressed, like, totally wrong for the time period. And they look like they... And they never have cell phones. And I'm, I always just whisper, what year are you from? <laughs> I know. But, yeah, this lady, she's like, I think I'll go to this spoken word poetry thing. <laughs> a poetry um, reading. How great. Anyway, great and then he's talking about like his drug times and she's like oh uh anyway you can see in the back reggie's there he's smiling he's proud and that's the reggie is so top-notch also like um jim carroll one of his jobs was managing andy warhol's theater so he he was like he was in that whole scene reggie is the one adult in this whole thing that didn't fail Jim. Yeah, and a lot of, like, his mom didn't intentionally fail him. Like, the, the priests intentionally failed him. But, oh, yeah. like, like, his mom didn't intentionally fail him. She just had nothing to do. Like, there were no systems in place. Like, what were yeah, you supposed did. to do when your 13-year-old was on heroin and you probably didn't have health insurance? And rehab wasn't, like, a thing. Well, I mean, in the 90s, rehab was a thing. But, like, in the in the 60s, when Jim Carroll was little, like, that, that wasn't, like, a thing. You just had yeah. to go to the hospital. Um... So, um, how, how many, how many Oscars would you give Leo for this performance? Oh my God. This movie made me fall in love with him again. Not that I wasn't before, but like, this is like, we're getting to the prime Leo time. This is, this is the good stuff. And I give him 10 out of 10 Oscars. I'm, I'm going to one up you and I'm going to say this performance goes to 11 Oscars. 11? It's it's really really good. It like sticks with you for days. 
I have been thinking about it since I watched it. And it just like gave me that. I don't know if you experienced this with him, but when I watch him and he's doing like he's at his finest, I get like a tingle of excitement. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm seeing something great. Yeah, he's one of those actors. You feel like you're you're like really experiencing something profound. And it's I'm just like so excited that we are alive at the same time as him. (laughs) Also, so Leo like has very famously never done drugs. So the fact that like he has no idea what it actually feels like to be high and yet he like can do this. Oh, and I've seen my fair share of episodes of Intervention. This was um, right on. This was spot on. Yeah. <laughs> and also, did you notice we're entering the dawn of the crinkled eyebrow and concerned face era? Oh, my gosh. I've decided to call the crinkle Hinkle McCrinkleberry. Crinkle McCrinkleberry. No, Hinkle McCrinkleberry. Oh, it's, Hinkle it's from, um, it's from uh, uh, Key and Peel when they do the, um, the skit about or the sketch about how... Um, like ridiculous football players names are uh-huh. and they're like it's like the thing where they say their name and what the university they went to and one of them is hinkleman crinkleberry <laughs> <laughs> so we should probably quickly just say what we're talking about is if you ever watch a leo movie um probably from let's see 1995 on if you ever watch he... a leo movie ugh, watch all of the well, leo movies yeah i know okay but but what we're saying is from 1995 on there is a specific face that he gets when he's um, concerned or thinking about something or constipated, constipated or trying just it's this one, it's this face that he gets. It's everywhere. It is it is very versatile. It's a very I'm just getting so excited talking about it. It's a very versatile face. It's it's one of the to- his like most used tools in his acting box. You. Yeah. It, it, I mean. I'm sure this is a face he makes in life as well, mm-hmm. but when he's concerned it, and upset, like if he walked in, if you were, if he was your friend and he came into the room and he had this look on his face, you'd be like, "Crap, I gotta go," because you know there's a long talk coming. Yeah, like that's that's what this face looks like. Yeah, and and he started using it here, and it it works well. It works well. Oh, it's so exciting! I love when baby Leo grows up. I do too. I'm thrilled i'm i'm so glad i watched this movie this movie is now one of my favorites i know everyone should go watch it um I'm so in love. i told somebody to watch it today i was like you have to watch the basketball Diaries." i said it kind of like that and they were like wow you're creepy oh, oh <laughs> that, that was a good story um do you have anything else to say about the basketball diaries no just uh you if you haven't seen it even though we just told you the plot we left out a lot of stuff so you should go watch it um for Leo alone and also for the introduction of Hinkle Crinkleberry. Um, yes. So in conclusion, guys, drugs are bad for you. Don't use them. If, if you've overcome, no, if you vote, if you have done them and you've overcome them, good on you. Ten, I mean, A plus you get 10 Oscars. You get all the Oscars. Um, you get all the Oscars and a couple Golden Globes. Yeah, but like if you do use them and you would like to stop, do a quick Google. There's lots of hotlines. Um, if I wasn't so tired, I would find one for you. Also, two people listen to this podcast. <laughs> no, it's more like five and none of them do heroin. That we know of. Um, okay, yeah. so yeah. In the meantime, you can find us on iTunes. Please go subscribe, rate us, leave us nice reviews only, and help other people find the podcast. You can, you know, tell a friend, put it on your in your Instagram, your Twitter, your 
you know, all that good stuff. Um, uh, and if people say, it, do, do they have it only because uh, they want to meet Leo? No, we don't want to meet Leo. I mean, we do, but that is not the objective of this podcast, as we are not idiots. We're um, grown adult women who just like to discuss Leo's crinkle. <laughs> we just we just want to worship Hinkle McCrinkleberry. Um, That's, that is all, okay? What's wrong with that? <laughs> so you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Talk Leo Pod, and our website is Let's Talk About Leo.com. Our theme song was composed by Blake Schmidtberger, and the rest is a Meredith and Laura production. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about Leo, and uh, come back next week when we discuss the movie, a movie that I have like literally never heard of called Total Eclipse. So it's anybody's bet what that's all about. Uh, it's about Leo uh, makes out with guys. Yes. Yes, that's going to be good. So see you next week. Soup's excited. <laughs> Bye. Bye.